Y'all give it up for Deacon Ron Walker. <laughs> and Mother Walker, who is here today and in good health, praise God. Amen. We all have been made in the image of God. And as a result of that, we are all beautiful. We are fearfully and wonderfully or beautifully made. We're all beautiful because of God's literal fingerprint on us. But because of sin, we are broken and beautiful people. Each one of us is broken. And we live in a broken world with other broken people and broken systems. And it causes us to long for a better place. It causes us to long for a better body, a better world. The Spirit has put that longing in each one of us. But until then, God is growing us. He's transforming us to the image of Jesus. And when we think about this series that we're in right now, the sexual healing series, I've said that the first thing that was noticeably affected when Adam and Eve, two beautiful people made in the image of God, when they disobeyed God and sinned, they were immediately separated from God spiritually. And now they were vulnerable and susceptible to this thing called death, physical death, spiritual death. But before they realized any of that, the first thing they realized was that they were naked. And they grabbed fig leaves and covered up their nakedness. So from the beginning, we not only inherited this propensity to sin from Adam and Eve, it's in all of us. But we have, in many respects, a broken sexuality. And it's different for each one of us, but I'm so glad that God prophesied that someone was coming to save Adam and Eve and the entire Adam's family, that's us, that Jesus was coming, the seed of the woman, that he would redeem or buy back, bring back to God, that he would save, that he would rescue, that he would restore until we get there. That right here, that he is working in us and on us in every way, including healing us sexually. So let's pray and let's ask the Redeemer, the Restorer, to do a work in each one of us as the word is sown this morning. I pray that it will hit hearts that are fertile so that fruit can be produced, yokes can be broken, and even generational curses reversed. Father, we are here today and we've all walked through various kinds of trauma, struggle. There are things in us that as you said in your word, these are the things that defile a man or a woman. And Jesus, you had the courage to say that some of that is sexual, that comes out of us. I'm so glad, Lord, that you didn't come into the world to condemn the world. But you came into the world that the world might be saved. And I'm so glad you care not only about our souls, care about our bodies and we want to present them to you daily and throughout the day as living sacrifices holy and acceptable unto you this is your will that we might live upright lives in a crooked and perverse generation that we're in this place but we're not of this place we have a different kind of morals and ethics about us we are to be holy as you are holy and we know that's a process we thank you, Lord, for imputed righteousness, what you gave us, that we can stand before you because of Jesus Christ covering us with his blood and with his righteousness. We thank you that we are accepted. Thank you for the call to love you and to love one another. Lord, for the next few minutes, would you give us a word? 
Would you put it all together for us? May we leave out better than how we came in. Will we leave out more informed than how we may have come in? May we renew our minds today by the word of God. Help me to teach. Help me to preach. Help me to love your people. They're your people. They're the sheep of your pasture. Help me to feed them well. Any word that is not of you, Lord, let it fall to the ground. But I thank you that your word will go forth and produce fruit and it will not return void. We love you. We bless you. There is none like you. There is none beside you. There is surely none over you. You are the most high God and you are worthy of everything we can give you. So we give you our time right now, our minds, our hearts, our souls. We give everything to you and we bless you in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. Can I just hear one hand praise for Jesus? I, I just want to hear one hand praise for Jesus. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. All right, now would you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. I think I'm going to go old school on you this morning and have you stand for the reading of the word of God. Can, can we go old school this morning and stand for the reading of the word of God? I'm reading from the New King James Version, and I will begin at verse 13 of Matthew chapter 16. When you have it, can you say amen? amen. If you don't have it, it's on the screen. Amen. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. So with your prayers and the help of the Holy Spirit, let's talk this morning on the subject of don't get it twisted. Don't get it twisted. You may be seated. All right, team, let's put the first image up. Let's put the first image up. Does anyone know what that is? <laughs> I know there are some people that don't know. Maybe my nephew doesn't know what that is. Um, that is a phone, a house phone that uh, uh, many of us had growing up in the 70s and 80s. Um, and there was usually one of them in the house. And it was usually hanging in the kitchen. <laughs> now, now, some of us, now that's a push button. Some of us had the rotary phone. <laughs> no one had their own like cell phone like we have today. That was a house phone. It hung in the kitchen, had a long cord like that. And so if you uh, had something, you know, if, if one of your, 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 your girlfriends called, you had to like step out of the kitchen and go into the den or something with the cord just stretching going on in there with you, you know. And so, so, so that's what we had. But, but what was tough, though, was when that cord got tangled because it limited your ability 
to hide your business from your mother and father because the cord couldn't stretch as far because it was now tangled up. It was twisted up. You see this brother here, he's struggling. The cord is not only twisted up, but it's twisted around him. Because when things that are not meant to be twisted are twisted, it limits their full capacity and range of use. And, and, and how many have ever had a twisted up water hose? I think I got a water hose right there. You see that water hose? That water hose is twisted. I have tried everything known to man to get those things where you, you roll the, the, the hose up so that when you need to unroll it, it comes out. That stuff doesn't work. I'm always out there untangling the cord, the water hose. Because if you don't untangle and untwist the water hose, the water will not flow through properly. Can I get a witness? Uh, you can't wash your car the right way. You can't water your flowers if the thing is twisted up in knots like that. So you got to spend time untwisting the water hose. How many of you have ever had some twisted cables? Uh, computer cables, uh, uh, the sound men up there, they're laughing because, because if them things get twisted up, man, you got to spend a whole lot of time unraveling those things. That's how life can be sometimes. Life can twist you up sometimes, and we don't operate to the full capacity that we can. And in Matthew chapter 16, Peter was twisted up. Peter got it twisted in Caesarea Philippi. That, that, that's where they are. That's the context of Matthew chapter 16. Caesarea Philippi was an area that was um, Caesar Augustus, who was over the region. There, there, there were Jewish Herods or kings, and there was Herod Philip who had uh, rule over that area, but uh, Caesar was above him. And so in order to honor Caesar in that place, he built a monument to Caesar Augustus, Herod Philip did, and he also uh, dedicated this monument to Caesar. So it's called Caesar or Caesarea Philippi. And this place had a mountain, a large mountain called Mount Hermon. And my wife and I got to visit Mount Hermon when we went to Israel back in the day, and we got to see this place where Jesus was with his disciples 2,000 years ago. Because this Mount Hermon, this huge mountain, had at the foot or the base of it a large cave or a large hole. And at this cave, the Greeks back in the day would sacrifice to demons. And at this cave, there was a whole lot of idolatry, and they worshiped all kinds of gods, and, and, and they would build divots into the wall in order to make little figurines to worship their gods, their idols. But the main god at that time was a cat named Pan, a dude named Pan. And Pan had a, a, a human figures up top, and uh, the hind parts were those of a hoofed animal. You've probably seen them when you've watched uh, uh, some of the, 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 the Narnia stories where you see a guy walking around with hoofs and up top, you know, his man with ears and playing a flute. Well, that was Pan. That was the main deity at that time. And Pan was the god over sheep, the god over shepherds. And so people would worship Pan. And so it was at this place with all the idols even the political idols that were in the land, that Jesus asked his disciples, what's the word on the street about me? What are people saying about me? And then he said, they, they said to him, well, some saying you're Elijah, John the Baptist, uh, uh, Jeremiah. And then he said, but, but, but who do you guys say that I am? And that's when Peter spoke up and said, you're the Christ which means you're the Messiah. We've been waiting for you to come, the deliverer that was prophesied and promised in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the seed of the woman. You are the one that was coming that we were waiting on. You are the Messiah, and you are the son of the living God, which means as long as God has been living, which is eternal, you've been living as well eternally as the son. You are God in the flesh. You are Messiah. You are God. You are deliverer. You are deity. You are the most high. And Jesus said, Simon, you're blessed 
because my, uh, 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 my father gave you that revelation. You didn't figure that out on your own. My father gave you that revelation about me. And based on that, I'm going to build my church. The church is built on Jesus, the rock. They're at a rock, but Jesus is saying, I am the rock. And we're going to build our church because that place, Mount Hermon, with the hole there where they sacrificed the demons, it was believed that it was the entryway into Hades, the, the, the Greek mythological belief of the afterworld, the underworld, that Pan was your escort to begin getting through that area. And Jesus said, right here, I'm going to build my church on, on, on these false beliefs, these false gods, where hell is. I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In other words, Jesus wasn't saying, I'm going to try to build my church as far out in the country, in the suburbs as possible, away from all the action. No, I'm going where the action is, and I'm going to build my church right there on hell boulevard. And I'm going to give you all authority over the gates of hell. You're going to preach. You're going to set captives free. Yeah, 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 yeah. Man, a glorious moment. We're here today because of that declaration in Matthew chapter 16. Church is not a building. Church is the people. We're here today. The church, the called out ones, the ecclesia. Thank you, Jesus. But Peter uh, got it twisted in this moment. He's going to go from the highest of heights to the lowest of lows. He's going to get an A on that paper. And then the next paper, he's going to get an F. I mean, have you ever, you know, just fallen off so quickly? How about in your walk with God where one minute, as my brother-in-law Gary says, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You're singing songs, man. If a mosquito bites you, it's going to fly away singing. There's power in the blood. You're full of the Spirit. But then the next minute, somebody cut you off in traffic and you spring a leak up in there. You ready to fuss, cuss, Whatever. Might happen for some of y'all after church, but no, I'm not going to speak that. I'm not going to speak that. But we can go from highs to lows in a nanosecond. And Pete went from a high high to a low low. So let's look at how this man got it twisted in this crucial moment of church history. First point is Peter got it twisted when he told Jesus what the will of God ought to be. He got it twisted. When he told Jesus what the will of God ought to be. Look at verse 22. This is after Jesus says, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. I'm going to be raised from the dead. The Bible says, then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. So now, if you're going to rebuke Jesus... You better know what you're talking about. Uh, uh, Matter of fact, you shouldn't even be thinking you need to rebuke Jesus. You you are already off right there because you just declared that he is the Messiah and the Son of God, knows everything, right? But yet you're going to rebuke him as if he doesn't know what he's talking about. So Peter's going to pull Jesus aside to rebuke him. What audacity there. Peter, in my estimation, became a little too comfortable with the Christ. He became a little too casual with Jesus. Because we we can do that sometimes. We we get so casual, so comfortable with God that we forget to reverence his majesty. We forget to acknowledge his sovereignty. And Peter became casual with Christ where he's going to rebuke the Lord. I know you just had a good answer. But even that answer didn't come from you. It came from the Father. Stop thinking more highly of yourself than you ought, Pete. I know you're the leader of the 12. Your name is always mentioned first when the disciples are read. But homeboy, homeboy, slow your roll. Pump your brakes. Because after getting one answer right, you thought you could take Jesus aside and instruct him about what the will of God is. Jesus says, I'm going to die. Peter said, no, Lord, that can't happen to you. In other words, he's thinking he knows what's best. He knows better than God about the will of God for Jesus' life. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 16 says, For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? And that's written a few times in the Bible. 
Because many times, made in the image of God, sometimes we think we're God. And we can tell God what's best. That we can instruct him about his will for our lives. No, 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 no. The, the, the clay cannot question the potter. Sometimes we, we get it twisted and think we know better than God about his will. We think we know more than God about what he said, and Peter had it twisted. So, Pastor, what does this have to do about sexual healing? What does this have to do about biblical sexual ethics? Well, many of us, just like Peter, we've gotten too comfortable and too casual with Jesus. Uh, whereas Peter forgot that Jesus was the Messiah, and part of the Messiah's plan was to die. Peter forgot that stuff. And we forget that God is holy. We, we just get a little too casual, and we forget that God is holy. And he commands us to be holy as he is holy. And we don't get to tell God what his will ought to be for our lives regarding sex, sexuality, and marriage. We, we don't get to redefine. We don't get to tell God what it ought to be when he made it clear what it ought to be. He tells us what his will is. And as the old folks used to say, God said it, that settles it, and it doesn't matter whether or not I believe it. God said it, that settles it, that's all there is. And in Matthew chapter 10, verse 24, it says that a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. In this moment of lunacy, Peter was putting himself above his teacher. He was exalting himself above his master concerning what the will of God was for the life of Jesus, the plan of salvation. Peter exalted himself. Uh-uh, no, 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 no. So the first thing, Peter got it twisted, y'all, when he told Jesus what the will of God ought to be, or in this case, what it will not be. When he said, that can't happen to you. You can't suffer. You can't die. I'm going to explain to you right now why Peter said that. Number two, Peter got twisted when he ignored some of the words of Jesus. When he ignored some of the words of Jesus, verse 21 of Matthew 16, verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. Peter, who had just declared that Jesus was the Christ, and Jesus said, man, you're blessed. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Flesh and blood didn't give that to you. My father gave that to you. And now you're Peter, and on this rock, I'm going to build my church. Man, he, he, he was doing well. But then I'm going to pull Jesus aside and tell him what the will of God ought to be. Homeboy is plummeting quickly. And what we see here is that Jesus had selective hearing, selective hearing. He only heard suffering and death. He did not hear resurrection on the third day. He, he didn't hear that because had he heard that, he would have pulled Jesus aside and said, this can't happen to you. What can't happen to you? Suffering and death can't happen to you. Peter, why do you care so much? Well, like most Jews of the day, they were looking for the Messiah to come. They were tired of being under the tutelage and the oppression of the Romans. And if you go back, they were tired of being under the oppression of the Greeks, under the oppression of the Assyrians, the Babylonians. The Jewish people were tired of being oppressed. And they were looking for a liberator to come, the Messiah to come, to restore national prominence to Israel. They were looking for a general, a conquering king, someone who would ride in on a white horse and defeat the nations and establish Israel as the epicenter once more of the world. So when they were looking for a Messiah, it was more political than it was spiritual. Now, it will be political when Jesus comes the second time. But first, it was spiritual. He had to come as a lamb in order to die and set us free before he comes back as a lion to conquer. And so both of these are in the Old Testament, the Bibles that they had. But Peter was looking for Jesus after he declared him the Messiah. 
Oh, yeah, he's like, oh, it's on now. We're getting the nation back now. He's going to reign now. And guess who's going to be on the right hand and on the left hand? Because they, they were arguing about greatness. Am I right? Who's going to sit here? And who? That's what they had in mind. They weren't thinking about death because a dead Messiah messes up Peter's agenda. Are you with me here? Am I by myself? He had in mind what he thought Jesus ought to be about. So when Jesus talked about suffering and death and resurrection, all he could hear was suffering and death. He couldn't hear the words resurrection because the, the words suffering and death went against his agenda of what he thought the Messiah should do and be about. Okay, he's getting excited again. I'm going to be on the right and on the left, man. I'm his main guy. So if he's reigning and ruling, I'm riding shotgun. Yeah. So it's possible that Peter's personal biases influenced his inability to hear all that Jesus said. Do you hear me? His biases influenced his inability to hear all that Jesus said. And when we're biased, we can't hear all that Jesus said. When I was in Bible college, seminary, I was at a school that taught the word with a slant. Pretty much every Bible college, every church, every denomination has slants and biases. What's dangerous is when we don't admit that we have them. But everybody thinks they're right. Everybody thinks they're right. And I remember being taught about the Holy Spirit in this conservative Baptist institution and basically saying they would teach that the gifts have ceased. In other words, no one's speaking in tongues anymore today. That once the Bible came, there was no more use for speaking in unknown languages, yet alone heavenly languages. So it was a very conservative approach. And I'm sitting there saying, I hear y'all, but I know folk who speak in tongues. I hear y'all, but there are people on this campus who speak in tongues. They ain't telling nobody, but they speak in, in tongues on this campus. So how are you going to tell us that man? Yeah, no. And then when I read the scriptures over in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul said, um, does everyone prophesy? No. Does everyone speak in tongues? And then later he says, if someone speaks in tongues, you have to interpret what is being said. So how can y'all say there's no more tongues, but yet Paul is saying that if people speak in tongues, speak in order and this, that, and the other. And, and, and so therefore, I, I said, you know what? They want to hopscotch through scripture and, and, and say that tongues are not for anyone. But then other folk want to hopscotch through scripture and say tongues are for everybody. Oh, yeah, I might not get an amen in some churches when I say that. No. This extreme is saying nobody. This extreme, everybody. And if you haven't spoken in tongues, you don't have the Holy Spirit. So we hopscotch and we don't take all of scripture and try to find a balanced, sound approach in interpreting it and applying it. Pastor, what in the world does this have to do with biblical sexual ethics? I'm so glad you asked. Because many times we don't have ears to hear all of the words of Jesus. We want to pick and choose what we hear. We want to affirm passages that affirm us in our belief system. But those ones that challenge our belief system, we play hopscotch and stay away from them. But Paul said in the book of Acts chapter 20, he preached the whole counsel of God while he was in Ephesus and not just the parts that supported his positions. But I'm afraid that many times that that's how we do. We don't take all of the word. We will either intentionally ignore what's written, what's clear, or we will uh, uh, remove it in a sense by just denying that it's in the Bible. I've had discussions with folks over the years. Uh, again, I'm, I'm not speaking of something I don't know about here. It happens. We have a tendency of doing that, of ignoring or removing words from the Bible that we don't agree with. I want to let you know that this is dangerous when we do that. Again, the goal, I want to have a sound understanding of Scripture. Not perfect, but sound, balanced, healthy, whole counsel of God. The best interpreter of the Bible is the Bible. But if I'm a New Testament only saint, that's like watching Rocky 3 and 4 without watching Rocky 1 and 2. You can't understand 3 and 4 without 1 and 2. 
You can't understand the New Testament without one and two. And so we have to have the whole counsel of the word of God. Now, when people do this, this is not unprecedented. Because what Peter was doing, he was forgetting passages. Isaiah 53, for one, that the, the servant would suffer. He forgot that. We do that too. I'm holding before you right now um, what is called a slave Bible. A slave Bible or the Negro Bible. This came out in 1807. It was published by a group of missionaries out of London, England, who wanted to see enslaved Africans converted to the faith. Uh, so they therefore would share the gospel with them. But in this slave Bible, there are select parts of the Bible removed because they wanted the slaves to be converted, but they didn't want them to be liberated. They didn't want them to know that God uh, not only wants to save your soul, but he wants to save everything about you. And so in the slave Bible, they have taken away 90% of the Old Testament, 90% of the Old Testament, and 50% of the New Testament. So they've taken out stories of the Exodus, but they left in the Bible when Joseph became a slave. Uh, uh, they, they, they left in the slave Bible, slaves obey your masters, but they took out of this Bible Galatians 3.28, our vision verse that there's neither bond nor free, for you are all one in Christ. They knew what they were doing. They were removing words from the word and presenting it to people. And we do similar things where we don't want to read passages of scripture that don't fit our agenda. We bypass them. We go over them. If I had the time, I'd lay out some of how the scriptures are broken down in this Negro Bible, which, by the way, there are only three copies in the world. Two are in England. One is in Washington, D.C. at the Museum of the Bible, and it is believed to have been brought to America by the Fisk Jubilee Singers because they would sing for the Queen of England back in the 1800s. And when they came home, they brought that Bible, and Fisk owns that Bible and put it on loan to the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. But they were afraid of what the slaves might do if they got a hold of the message of liberation and not just the message of salvation. We still twist and turn and remove, don't want to read those passages. It's the same kind of precedence. Well, if your Messiah affirm sin in order to align with your personal biases, experiences, and politics, you're in a dangerous place. If you are changing the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made by corruptible men, Romans 1.23, you're in a dangerous place. But thirdly and finally, Peter got it twisted when he became influenced by Satan. Look at verse 23, verse 23. But he, Jesus, turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. So Peter's getting it twisted. He's trying to reinterpret the will of God. Peter's getting it twisted because he's ignoring some of the words Jesus said. He's ignoring resurrection. He's ignoring death and suffering. He doesn't want to hear that. And now he's become influenced by Satan. And when we see how subtle the serpent still is, it would cause us to be on guard. Listen to this strong tower. Peter didn't even know he was being used by Satan. He didn't even know it. He was spurting stuff out that sounded good but wasn't right. No, Lord, this can't happen to you. I care about you. No, you don't. You care about yourself. He's spurting stuff out. And Jesus is saying, let me identify where this is coming from. What you said earlier came from heaven. What you're saying now has come from hell. Well, that sure wasn't loving of Jesus to say that. We got a little milk toast Jesus sometime, don't we? One who won't call you out. But we always like, speak the truth in love. That's what he's doing here. And he said, Satan is influencing you. 
just as much as my father did. Now, Satan, you went from up to down, from heaven to hell, and if it could happen to him, it could happen to us. And he's spewing stuff that comes from hell, that comes from Satan. Now, here's the thing now. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 10, Satan tried to keep Jesus from going to the cross when he offered him the kingdoms of the world. Here, just take the kingdoms, just bow down and worship me. In other words, you can get the people without suffering. You can get the people without being separated from your father momentarily bearing the sin. Here, take the easy way out, Jesus. And Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan. Away with you. In other words, I rebuke you. The same spirit hit Peter. And Peter's trying to keep Jesus away from the cross. Satan has influenced his mouth, Peter's mouth, and Jesus calls out the spirit and says, get behind me, Satan. So what does this have to do with biblical sexual ethics? Well, some of us have been deceived into doing the devil's work, like Peter, and you don't even know it. And when it comes to sexual ethics, we end up endorsing beliefs that are contrary to the will and the word of God. The father of lies is the devil. So when we're parroting lies, we're not speaking like our father in heaven. We're speaking like the one who is in hell. Now, Peter was not demon-possessed, but he was demonically influenced. And every Christian can be demonically influenced if you're not careful. You see, Peter needed Jesus to set him free. And you and I need the same thing, okay? When we're saying things that are not right, when we're saying things that are not consistent with scripture. Or we gotta go leave the Bible to prove a point that's not in the Bible, but try to make it seem like it's in the Bible. Come on, we're on thin ground now, come on. When the plain sense makes sense, seek no other sense. The word of God is so shallow that a baby can get in it, a child, and understand the biblical stories, but yet the Bible is still so deep that the greatest theologian can't touch the bottom. It's the word of God. But when you got to do gymnastics to try to say, well, that word don't mean that, and it's not what that means, and da 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 Wait a minute now. Hold on. You are getting it twisted. And so you need help from Jesus to get untwisted, or you need help from Jesus' pastor on earth to get you untwisted. I'm going to read 2 Timothy chapter 2. This is why I don't take my role lightly. Sometimes we're standing between heaven and hell as we're ministering to people. Watch this. I'm going to read from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. Flee also youthful lusts. We're going to talk about lusts next Sunday. But pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So run from something and run towards something. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes knowing that they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord, that's the pastor, must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility correcting those who are in opposition. Stop and pause. There's opposition in churches. There's opposition to sound doctrine in churches. The pastor is not to get out there and fight people and fuss and cuss and no, no. Be gentle, be patient, lovingly, humbly correct those who are in opposition. Listen to this. If God perhaps will grant them repentance, even repentance is a gift from God. If your heart turns, it's because you're responded to God who told you to turn your heart. He's saying, turn. Now, some of us will resist the spirit. But the Spirit is saying, repent, change your way, change your thinking on this, change your theology on this. God is trying to grant you repentance. Will you flow with him or fight against him? Go on now. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth, because right now all they know are lies, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Christians are captured by Satan. They're doing his will. 
They're believing his lies. They're spewing his lies, which is why you need to be in a good Bible teaching church because we all get off base. The word centers us. And you need men and women who will teach the word and not be afraid of what the people are going to say in opposition. And in this day and age where everybody has a view about sex, Christians included, that are not always biblical, somebody's got to stand up and tell the truth. And I'm going to do that. So some of you may not like me while I'm telling the truth. But hang in there because God may be using me to help you with your deliverance. Or you can go, 2 Timothy 4, and find some teachers that's going to tickle your ears and tell you what you want to hear. They're out there too. Well, in conclusion, Peter had it twisted when he told Jesus what the will of God ought to be. He had it twisted when he ignored some of the words of Jesus. Where do we do that? Peter had it twisted when he became influenced by Satan. I'm so glad that that's not how the story ends. Oh, I'm so glad that it just doesn't end there with Jesus saying, get behind me, Satan. And then Jesus is going to turn around and start talking about what a real disciple is. A disciple denies himself, picks up his cross. Down, and Peter's probably like, man, you rubbing it in, man. Oh, yeah, yeah. But Peter didn't stay that way. He got untwisted, Strong Tower. He got untwisted. How do I know Peter got untwisted? Because he was twisted up with all this stuff. But he got untwisted when we read Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Acts chapter 2. Because the message, don't miss this, that he was rejecting in Matthew 16 of a Messiah who would suffer and die and raise again. Because it went against what he wanted in his agenda. He was twisted up in some bad thinking that led to some bad speaking. Jesus rebukes him. It says, You're, you have in mind the things of men or the things of the world, not the things of God. A little bit later on Pentecost, he gets Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Ah, as I close, men of Israel, he's preaching. Hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have what? Crucified and put to death whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. What's going on here? He wasn't trying to hear that message in Matthew 16 about Jesus suffering, dying, and being raised from the dead. Jesus calls him out on it. Over time, he adjusted his beliefs to the beliefs of God. He stopped thinking about the ways of men and started thinking about the ways of God. And now he's preaching the gospel about a suffering servant, a servant who died, and one who rose again. It's my prayer because I know this series is tough for some of us. We've gotten your text messages, your emails. Keep them coming. And I know some of you are troubled because I'm messing with your belief system right now. Well, let me say I believe God is messing with your belief system. I think he's getting you to check some things, uh, to, to, to come out of some beliefs that you've always held but didn't know why and could not prove biblically. But you just hold them because of feelings and emotion. And I think God is saying, get back to the word. It wasn't easy for Peter to get there because in the Garden of Gethsemane, he used a sword and cut somebody's ear off. He's still thinking, I got to protect Jesus from his destiny. But he eventually got it. My prayer is that whatever you're rejecting right now about a biblical sexual ethic or a biblical practice of morality, whatever you are pushing away, my prayer is that we'll look up a month from now. We'll look up a year from now. And what you're rejecting, you will be receiving. That what you're rejecting, you will one day be reciting. That's my prayer. Would you stand with me to pray? I'm going to ask the worship team to come back. We want to sing a closing song and have a time of prayer. 
If Peter can get twisted and become untwisted, so can we, but we gotta admit that we're twisted. Some of us grew, grew up hearing some bad things, some wrong things about what manhood is. And so our beliefs are so toxic. And Jesus is wanting to untwist you. Some of us grew up doing all kinds of things and we're still doing them and we're justifying them. And Jesus wants to untwist us. So as the worship team sings this song, if anybody wants to join me in prayer, from your seat here at the altar, please do so. Your prayer may be, Lord, I'm praying for myself. I'm praying for my family members. I'm praying for my cousin. I'm praying for my mother. Who knows how God is touching your heart? Someone may need to come because you need to repent. You just need to repent. You've been holding on to the things of men, not the things of God. Some of you may need to come because you're like, Pastor, would you pray for me, man? I've gone through some trauma. Uh, I don't know what to believe anymore. I don't know. But let's take a moment, Strong Tower. Let, let's get this in our DNA of responding to the word with prayer. Let's pray. Let's worship. Come forward if you need to come.
You are with us. You are in us. You are for us. You overcame the world so that we could overcome. You want us free. But Lord, it begins with how we think. Help us to renew our mind. Help us to see ourselves in Peter and in his momentary folly. Lord, we all do that. Thank you that you are there to correct us, to call us out, to call us up. Thank you, Jesus, that you love us too much to leave us the same. It might be a little hard to swallow at first, but Lord, it becomes sweeter as the days go by. I'm talking to a yoke-breaking God. Yes, I'm talking yes, to a yes. God that can save anybody. I'm talking to a God that can use anybody. I'm a witness, Lord, that if you can save and use me, you can save and use anybody. And we trust you. It's a process, oh God. Peter didn't get there overnight, and neither will we. And even once he got there, there were still other places in his life that were imperfect. But I thank you for an everlasting love and a grace that can never run out. Lord, for my brothers and my sister who have come, thank you that you know everything in their heart and what's going on. Lord, would you meet them as only you can? Would you be for them what they need? Would you be for their friends and family what they need? Lord, might they see something happen because they've dared to pray, because they've dared to humble themselves. Lord, start something new at Strong Tower, oh God, where we become not only a praising church, but a praying church. Do it, Lord. Do it, Lord. Do it, Lord. And here we are. And we close by saying, now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ever ask or imagine. And it's according to the power that is working within us. To him be glory, majesty, dominion, and power both now and forevermore. And all of God's people said, amen. Come on. And all of God's people said, did you hear something today? Did you hear something today? A song, something I said from the word. And I pray that you take that with you and spend time with God away from here. Amen. Get along with God and have a blessed, blessed day. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you.